First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't generate amusing holiday cards, but it will personalize career paths for your people and let you know which suppliers are best so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. the new way we work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kathleen Davis. So we've been talking on the last few episodes about AI in the workplace and how it will be changing all of our jobs. So we decided to try out some AI workplace tools. Myself, uh, my podcast producer, Julia Shu, and senior staff technology editor, Max Uffberg, all tried out some tools. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on the side of the microphone today. Let's kind of get into it first, I think, with like a good level setting of like, what's our personal comfort level with learning new (laughs) platforms, new technology in general, and with like AI in particular. I'm, sometimes I feel like the Luddite or the like the old lady stick in the mud. If like people are super following me, which I don't expect anybody to. I didn't have a smartphone um, until 2021. I've worked in digital media, but I'm, yeah, I'm a little resistant to new technology sometimes. And I am a big-ish uh, AI skeptic. So I, I think I'm that end of the spectrum. Uh, Julia, what about you? Um, I feel like I don't mind learning new programs, a new software thing or a new AI tool. But I'm also very skeptical because I feel like there's a lot of things in the podcast world where I'm like, oh, this is just what a producer would have done before. And now it's faster, but maybe not as good. Uh, We'll see. Yeah. I will say I like learning new things. I like covering. I'm I'm interested in things, but yeah, I'm a little bit like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) (laughs) Max, what about you? I expect you to, since you're the technology editor, I expect you to be the other end of the spectrum, but maybe not. I might actually say I'm more cautiously optimistic. I'm somewhere between maybe being a Luddite and a full-on tech utopianist or something. I mean, I think there are a lot of real-world use cases where AI has been totally helpful. Even just like anecdotally, you know, I can use ChatGPT to help with everything from like figuring out gardening to planning workout regiments. Like it is actually pretty helpful with stuff like that. That said, like that's essentially just a better version of Google. <laughs> or <laughs> for me, I haven't seen anything yet where it's like, oh, this is totally going to change the way I, I work or the way I interface with tech to go about my day. Yeah. Okay. We, we're a little bit across the board when we're thinking about our work day. What kinds of tasks do you already use AI for or do you think AI could help with your day? I mean, I do use ChatGPT just generally with work for like research purposes. I also don't treat it as anything close to being definitive or 100% accurate. Sometimes it's just to help get a rough idea of something. I also use Oasis, which records and transcribes my voice memos. I use Google Bard a bit to query my different docs and things like that. Uh, I also use Grammarly, which is sort of like a real-time writing assistant. It doesn't help you formulate a sentence, but it's almost like a 
better version of spell check. Mm-hmm. Like corrects your grammar and makes you uh, helps you say things more concisely. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like you use a lot of it in a lot of ways to just speed things along or, or help you be more organized. And like, as you're talking, I'm like, because at, at first I'm like, I don't use AI at all. But it's like, well, yes, I do. I love voice memos and transcription and like that sort of thing. I don't use all the tools you do, but I could certainly see the use for them. What about you, Julia? Yeah, that's interesting because I feel like even talking to coworkers in the podcast department that sometimes we're not even sure what counts as like an AI thing or a not AI. I feel like because it's so popular to talk about AI right now that there's some things where I am not really sure that there's the generation of new original content in the program, but it's doing something that's efficient. And so we're saying that it's AI, (laughs) but I'm like, oh, is it actually like an AI engine that's been like trained and designed? I feel like podcast department in our office is pretty small and there's a lot of taking one asset and then delivering it to someone else or taking something from one department, moving it to another department. So I think those are the things where it would be super useful to have that automated. It's interesting, as we were saying this, it made me think of an article that we ran recently on Fast Company that was titled, you're already using AI at work, you just didn't know it. And it said that 78% of C-suite leaders said their organizations use AI, but only 45% of their employees thought their organizations were using AI. Actually, kind of a common refrain in, in the broader AI community that like, there's all this talk, what they might call the AI doomer narrative. So it's like the robots <laughs> are coming mm-hmm. Skynet style and setting aside whether that's realistic or not, there's still just all these actual real world applications that are in many ways like unregulated. We haven't totally grappled with the ethics of these things. And uh, I think a lot of people would say like, before we jump to the most dystopian scenario, we should just talk about how to actually work with this stuff right now. I mean, I've been at Fast Company for a decade, like at least that long. (laughs) Have we have we run and heard some version of like the robots are going to come take our jobs? That's an old refrain. But yeah, I think now it's kind of the first time I feel like there's more conversation around the ethics of it and and like what it actually means. So let's get into what tools we were using this week. We each tried out a different AI workplace tool. I tried out uh, one for meetings. Max, you tried out one for email? I used SaneBox, which basically tries to declutter your email and recategorize things in news, spam, receipts, and so forth. Got it. And Julia, what did you use? So one called Swell AI that's meant for podcast production. Um, And then there's one that I always use called Descript and Otter, which is also a meeting one. It's probably familiar to a lot of people. Cool. So I used MeetGeek and, you know, I want to kind of preface this by these are not product reviews by any means, but more so we want to kind of talk about the idea of using AI for these kind of workplace tasks. I will say my first experience with it was, and this is maybe no surprise given what I I said about my feelings about some of these things, is hesitation. You have to agree to give away a lot of privacy. I think this is like incredibly standard, but it still gives me pause. Like this app would like to maintain access to your data, sign you in and out and read your profile, have full access to your calendars. I think that's very, very standard, but I'm like a little bit like, (gasps) 
Did you guys encounter the same kind of privacy things? Yeah, I definitely felt that way. I mean, anytime I'm giving a third party access to my email inbox, which has not just like your personal correspondences, but your finances, health records, I mean, whatever, Mm -hmm. like this is really important stuff. And I don't really know who's behind SaneBox and how secure their service is. It may very well be great, but it's just a little unnerving either way. But it's also like every single platform does this too. It's like whack-a-mole to try to be vigilant against it. And then like, what things can you use and who isn't selling your data? And I mean, that was part of my resistance to having a smartphone for a long time too, is like, well, you're just giving them a tracker in your pocket. But yeah, it's kind of everywhere now. But yeah, that did give me pause. Kind of the other things about using this AI tool for meetings, unless I'm just dense and couldn't figure it out, it could be a user error, but it sent the notes and meeting summary to all the participants of the meeting. I also felt very, yes, I felt very self-conscious about using this tool because everybody knew I was using it. So I would, it syncs up with your calendar and you can turn it off if you don't want it on in a meeting. But you know, since I was kind of trying this out for a week, I wanted to have it on. So every time I was in a meeting, it was like, Kathleen's note taker bot is here. Everybody got the notice. And then after the meeting, it automatically sent this like summary to everybody, which I didn't, I don't think people necessarily wanted to get. I felt like I was spamming people. I didn't particularly want them all to get it either, but I couldn't figure out how to turn it off. Maybe that was just me. Did you find the summaries helpful? (sighs) Oh, I have so many thoughts. It was interesting because it organizes it into like topic categories. That part was good in that, say we're talking about a story at the beginning of the meeting and then we like bring it up again later. It puts what we said in the same like category of, you know, we're talking about inflation or whatever. And it like puts it both, even though we mentioned it at different spots. It also looks for, I think it like looking for certain words to determine what's like an action point. And like, here are like action points that you need to walk away with got those pretty wrong a lot of the times. It felt kind of judgmental. Like it judges like the tone of the meeting. And in one meeting, it was like, Kate is skeptical. Kate is like, it was like, (laughs) I felt very offended by, I was like, I didn't think I came across that way. It felt like tone policing and like would make you kind of like censor yourself if you know your AI interpretation of what you said is going to like go out to everybody. I, I will say I did have a, another meeting where it said the meeting was very positive. I was like, well, good. <laughs> Glad. <laughs> there must be a way to make it not automatically shared. That's crazy. If it's like so-and-so is not paying attention. So-and-so is like well, kind of bored. That it didn't get. It doesn't do like... I've heard of programs that like track how much you're looking up or paying attention or how like engaged you seem. It did get some people's names wrong sometimes, which was a little weird. Um, I have to find, there was a, a, a name of a person that does not exist at all, was like credited with saying <laughs> a bunch of things. We had a, another brainstorm where uh, Julia Hurst, our, our work-life editor, was talking a lot because it was a work-life brainstorm, but her name like hardly came up. And she's like, I, I talked most of that meeting and it like barely mentions things I said. It was kind of funny too, to see your like small talk at the beginning of a meeting be like categorized and like summarized. Like Kate shared a funny story about like, oh, I'm glad you thought that story was funny. AI, yeah, it was weird. From, I think Otter is pretty similar. And from Otter, I have one meeting notes page that's like, 
all about dog health insurance, which was totally <laughs> like a side conversation that happened and it's like categorized in there. And it makes it seem as like equally important as anything else you're talking about. Like it kind of doesn't, maybe this is, you know, a next level thing to be like, this is, they're clearly having small talk that doesn't relate to the topic. I'm not going to summarize this and like treat it as equally important as, as the rest of it. Right. I do feel like there has to be a middle ground because I feel you in that like, if I'm handwriting notes, it's like an insane person. It's like a few random words and like arrows and like, you know, abbreviations because I'm trying to write it so fast. I do think Meet Geek and probably all these kind of AI meeting things because it kind of transcribes it too. Like it was a half hour meeting and that was two pages worth of notes. Like it was way too many notes. Really the things that we needed to walk away with were maybe five bullet points or something. I guess that is something though in Meet Geek's defense and in the defense of all these AI meeting note takers is like they're actually performing a task that many people just can't do. Whereas mm -hmm. for me using SaneBox or something like, you know, an email declutterer, pretty much everyone can do that. It's tedious, but when it comes to actually taking effective notes in meetings, I think that's like a skill because I am horrible at it. So it's at least a little bit more pressing, arguably. To your point, the whole point of AI that we hear a lot is that it's supposed to take away those tedious tasks. So as you said, like everyone can go through and delete spam, but having something do it for you is supposed to save you time, like doing a mindless activity. What was your experience using it? So I guess I would open with the caveat that this product, like many AI tools, gets better over time. Basically, it learns your habits and your preferences. So using it for a week, I would say a six out of 10, maybe of okay. 5.5 out of 10. Like <laughs> it's nice to wake up in the morning and, and see a clear inbox because everything has been sorted into subfolders. But, but then you have to go through those subfolders. Right. I mean, because it wasn't particularly accurate. So I would have important news put in the spam folder and vice versa. So they set you up with some default folders. So there's basically news receipts, uh, what they call, I think the black hole, which is like really pointless spam. It's funny that like even the AI program is just like, yeah, these emails, we don't know what to do with them. Miscellaneous, yeah, yeah. Exactly. like other stuff, yeah. Which I, I think I do have a actual email folder called like other stuff. <laughs> like I don't know where else to put this, yeah. I had a something from my health insurance, I forget, like a receipt or something from the health insurance that was emailed and it, it was placed in, I think the news category which is fine because I'm reading it all, but it's not totally effective. But I would assume, and from what I've you know read online, people do like this product a lot, I should say. So from what I've read online, after however many times of then putting that healthcare bill into the appropriate receipts folder, like the AI does learn, I think you have a two-week free trial and then you start having to pay and there are different tiers and you know it's a whole other thing. But I don't know that after two weeks even of a free trial, you'd really have, it would be effective enough to be worth using, at least not for me. It sounds like a more advanced version of what Gmail did several years ago, where it went to the like three tabs of like your main inbox and your promotions and your like social or whatever. And like sometimes I feel like that's, I mean, and that's been around for a long time and I feel like that gets it right. 85% of the time. And then you can very easily like look at that tab and say, oh, actually this is important and should go in my inbox. It does seem like a lot of training is involved. 
One question I had about trying otter is if with more time, it would get better trained and everything. Because the part I was eager to try out was like the chatting questions thing where you could say like, what did I get assigned? And because we didn't have meetings with like clear ending with, here are the action items from this meeting. So-and-so is doing this. You know, it couldn't pick up those things, which made me think like, okay, this is useful if you have like very facilitated, very organized meetings, or maybe it would get better with time and it would understand. So what you're saying basically is like having an agenda, having clear like ending with, you know, exactly what you were saying of like, Kate, you're going to do this, Max, you're going to do this. If you're that organized in your meeting and that clear in your meeting, like I hope and would think the tool is really, really useful, but I don't think a lot of people are there. So if you're looking for this tool to give you that kind of clear organization that you don't already have in your meetings, it sounds like it's a either we got to wait a while to get there or, you know, you got to make your meetings more organized to make the the notes more organized. I think that is a common thread across most AI products. There's obviously the machine learning element. And as a user, you kind of have to buy in to a, a long-term engagement. Like you have to expect that it probably won't be that effective or that accurate on day one or even day 20, but by day 50 or something, maybe then you're, you're really getting the return you hoped. I guess for me, and probably why I've been such a resistor to it is I'm like, well, if I have to spend that much time training the thing to do it, can't I just do it myself? And I guess that's the argument is like, well, you know, the whole like teach a man to fish thing. But if you're spending months training your AI bot that your health insurance is not news can't you just go through your email yourself? But maybe, yeah, maybe it's the teach a man to fish thing. And then like someday you won't have to train that anymore. Right. I guess one problem is like, do we know that the man is going to be around in another year? Do you know what yeah, I mean? you're, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you for taking my analogy. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, you're right. You spend all that time like training your thing to know what emails are what. And you're like tedious. You're like you know, that whole time, like I could just be going through this myself, but I'm investing in training this thing and PS paying for it. Um, and then, oh, is it going to go away and you're going to have to start all over again? Or is there going to be a new program? Right. Like there's still like 30 programs competing for every task right now. And we're still in such early stages of this broader productivity corporate warfare that it's like you're kind of betting on a horse and hoping that the horse doesn't drop out early. Yeah, I know. I do feel like, hmm, can I just sit back and wait to see which, to, to take your analogy, which horse wins and then I'll get on board with that? Like I, no, I waited until 2021 to see if smartphones were really going to catch on. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll I'll do the same thing. I think the one program that I've used for several years now is called Descript. And it's one of a couple podcast-specific things and and also for video, where when it first came out, this was like a big deal in producing that you would have transcripts that are linked to the audio. Um, And so now there's like tons of things that are generating live transcripts. Spotify just announced that they're going to have transcripts with podcasts. 
And also Spotify announced that they will be doing AI-generated translation versions of podcasts. So listen to like the new way we work in Spanish with an AI-generated voice, that kind of thing. But so the transcripts that are linked to audio, it means that you can edit based on the text while listening to it. And so it does cut down and like change the production process a lot. And since I first started using it years and years ago, I think the transcription has gotten much, much better. And that one, you know, isn't necessarily that you would have to train it, but that so many people will be using it. If it's successful enough and you picked the right one, then it will be learning from everybody's tape that they've put into the program. Yeah. I am old enough to remember when we did not have them and we had to like transcribe things ourselves or hire people to transcribe things. And I remember when we first started using these tools that they were just like laughably bad, like very common names would be wrong. Very common words would be wrong. I mean, it was, it was literally really funny a lot of times how it interpreted what you said, but it has gotten so much better that that yeah, most of the times the transcripts are really accurate or very close to accurate and only get a few words wrong. And you can, for my purposes, you know, it's it's writing and I want to see the transcript. I'll get the transcript of, of our conversation today and I will write an article based on it and I will get everything that I, you know, need. I'll get the quotes. I'll get everything that I need from it. Well, getting the transcript, writing the article, doing all that stuff. So one of the ones that I tried, which is Swell AI, does those things. Does the human part that I do. So it upload. okay, go ahead. Yeah, you're paying by the hour, by the minute. And it's giving you back a transcript, which you probably already had at this point. And then title ideas, episode summary, an article or a story, short versions of that. And then a little like embeddable chat that you could say you embed it in the article that you publish and then people can type questions into it like, what does the Supreme Court's decision on affirmative action mean for DE&I, um, which is one of the episodes we had a few weeks ago. And then it will, based on the content of the episode, try to give you an answer. Uh, okay. I have feelings. I should pause to say Fast Company and Inc., our sister publication owned by Mansueto Ventures, we have an AI policy no published content can be created by AI. So as Bex was saying, you can we can use AI to like help organize ourselves and like be prompts, but like no headline you read, no article you read, nothing is generated by AI. And that's our kind of like AI ethics policy. I know a lot of companies are kind of, especially publishers are grappling with that. How do you attribute AI in articles? We have made the decision that we are not using AI in any of our published articles. So anything that Julia is about to tell you that she experimented with, we did not actually publish any of it. Yes. Um, but what was your feeling about it? The titles were iffy. Like, <laughs> I wasn't going to fill your word <laughs> no, and I was like, no. bad. They were bad. Because you shared them with me. I was like, oof, no. Some of them were like a basic title that we probably would have considered. Like, why is unionizing childcare workers so difficult? I mean, it's very, lit yeah, it's very straightforward, very literal. Mm -hmm. I found like a lot of them were a little academic. Yes. They weren't clicky. They weren't enticing. They weren't things that humans write to, to make other humans want to read. Yeah, I think a lot of them sounded like college papers or peer review journal articles. Like there's a lot of colons, <laughs> which is something like I would always use colons when I was in high school and I had to write an essay which I feel like that's kind of the vibe. 
<laughs> some of those suggestions. The chat thing was surprisingly, I mean, I only tried it with really basic questions, but it was able to answer basically taking sections, I want to say, from like your intro, Kate, and then kind of just reworking it into an answer and spitting that out. It feels like a useful tool if you're writing a paper, but I don't think an actual reader of an article or listener of a podcast episode is necessarily going to be like, tell me about this thing. Maybe if you're like searching, like, oh, I listened to the episode and she said something interesting about this and I want to find where it is without having to like listen back again or something. I would use it for really long, like hour to hour and a half celebrity interview podcasts where I don't really want to listen to like. <laughs> <laughs> Get to the dirt. Would you type in like, tell me the gossip part about such and such? Or, yeah, Exactly. It would be like, I'm not going to listen to 90 minutes of analysis about Britney Spears's book, but I can like type into this thing and ask it questions. Tell me the feud with Christina Aguilera. I just want to yeah. hear that part. Yeah. Give me Justin Timberlake's worst moments. Exactly. I don't know if she had a feud with Christina Aguilera. I don't know either, but. <laughs> but you could easily find out. Yeah. It does feel scary as like a writer and editor that, you know, AI could just write this article for me. My only like comfort right now is that I think I do a better job at it than AI does. But you know, what we're saying is that it's only a matter of time until we train it to do a better job than us. Yeah. I guess when it comes to writing and journalism, we've seen AI take over uh, with some basic sports reporting, right? Where like the AI will say the box score, like who is the leading scorer on each team, et cetera, et cetera. And that, that was a human job. I'm skeptical that AI will ever do the sort of nuanced, in-depth, especially narrative work yeah. that you'd find um, in a magazine or, or in a newspaper. I mean, maybe AI can act as like the field agent. It's like getting all the sources on the phone and you pre-program some questions in. I mean, this is all like so sci-fi. I mean, it's also like the example that you know, that Julia just gave, it wrote an article based on an interview that I did. So it wasn't like it created something out of nothing. So it can only work with what's already there. I can't tell you any new stories. In audio, there's like a few more steps even maybe than compared to like AI writing things. When I was learning to produce, I was told multiple times that you should listen to your tape and only make, you know, your decisions based on listening to it and not based on reading it. And of course, like now you could be doing both at the same time. But I think that if you told Descript or you told Riverside or one of these programs to make an episode or to choose like a promo cut, that it wouldn't be as sensitive about hearing like what did someone say where they sounded the most excited or what was like the funniest interaction that people had, uh, especially hearing your take on like the tone, the tone <laughs> judgments that it was making. I think like that's a more nuanced and sensitive thing that it maybe it could get really good at that, but um, not right now. Should we do the part where we say whether or not, I mean, I think maybe you can figure out where we land, but whether or not we think you know, the tool that we used perhaps in particular, but just these sorts of services in general are useful or will make workdays more productive or, you know, kind of fulfill the promise of AI. Max, I'll start with you. Do you think a tool and kind of any kind of email tool like SaneBox any, uh, would be useful 
for generally for the workplace? I think it can be useful with, again, the caveat that you have to be pretty vigilant about checking all of the various folders a few times a day and then helping teach the AI basically like what should go where, which just means like you'd have to be signing up for a long-term commitment. You can't use it for like five days and then decide you don't like it. Either you decide to use it for a few months or just don't bother. So you used it for five days. <laughs> Did you decide if you like it or not? Like, is, is this a tool you will keep or will you do another one like it? Or are you just going to go back to looking at your own <laughs> email and deleting things? Yeah, I'll just go back to the old way. I, it doesn't really bother me that much to like yeah. spend five minutes sorting through email or however long yeah. it takes. Most of my spam is pretty clearly spam from like the moment you see it. So I feel like you train yourself. I mean, I certainly have trained myself very, I get, all of us probably get hundreds of emails a day and I'm sorry to say it to all those uh, PR pitches I get, but I can tell at a pretty quick glance what I'm deleting. And so I can go through and delete, 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 delete really quickly. And maybe I'll sing a different tune a couple of years from now, but I still feel like the time that you spend training the AI is just time you could just have this these better habits yourself for something like this at this point. Yeah, we'll wait for it to get better. And in that time, other people will train these programs <laughs> to get better. Yep. And then we will profit off of their, you know, using the thing and categorizing things properly and fixing names so that they're spelled right. And then like in a couple of years, you know, if you sign up for Meet Geek, it'll be miles better, but you won't have had to suffer through <laughs> the like baby stages. What do you think of the the other tools though? Swell AI, no. Yeah. <laughs> if I was doing like a whole backlog of a season's worth of shows and which maybe is what it's made for because you can also upload from an Apple podcast feed or an RSS feed. And if you just needed like a whole batch of things and you didn't really need the catchiest title, you just needed it fast. I think that would be useful. But for like regular production, not really. I'm going to call the bottom line on this you guys all try it out. We'll wait till it gets better and then we'll try these tools again in a couple of years. <laughs> you all train these tools for us. I think I think we are in our, our growing pains stage for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, Max, Julia, thank you for being game to try these things out for a week and, and come on and, and talk about them. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Sure, I'm always happy to try some other weird program. <laughs> Although I'm probably like selling off all of my personal information. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's already there. Google's had it for decades. Don't worry. Yep. They already know everything. What else is there? And that's all for this episode. We want to hear from you. Have you tried out an AI tool that you found particularly useful for your workday? Let us know at podcast at fastcompany.com. And if you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with editing by Nicholas Torres. Mm -hmm.